such a blatant racist was on the 9th of June 1862 on a summer's afternoon We took the bus from Balbras and she was heavy laden Away we went along Collingwood Street that's on the road to Bladen Oh my lads, you should have seen us gunning Passing the folks along the road just as they were standing All the lads and lassies there and all with smiling faces Gunning along the Scotswood Road to see the Bladen races What's good, ladies and gentlemen? Elijah here, and I'm of course joined alongside the co-host. I need to stop saying the co-host with the most because it's getting stale. But Josh, Josh, what's up? How what's are you? up? I'm oh relieved, yeah. excited, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah, we were so confident. Uh, we actually were pretty confident last time we recorded. Um, just so everyone knows, we're recording Thursday after the uh, what was who did we play today? Jeez, Brighton match. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we played uh, Thursday after the Brighton match. Um, so uh, we we just had stuff come up. We both were a little busy and uh, didn't record earlier in the week, which actually turned out to be good because this is a much more exciting and fun episode because of that. So good but for who us. Knows? Yeah, I mean, well, we knew. knew. Wait, yeah. no, we, no, we were. I was not very confident. Um, but yeah, so uh, this is episode. I think it's two oh seven. Um, and I'll be either really right or just wrong. So someone can fact check me on that. I'll be fact checking myself. Going to hit a little bit of news. Um, and then we'll talk briefly about Leeds. We'll talk briefly about Brighton. Um, and of course, with me and Josh, is never super brief. But I'll try to push the pace if I can. And Josh too, <laughs> and then uh, we'll we'll preview uh, Lester, which will be brief because our previews are usually pretty brief. So yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, let's let's hop right into it. So um, I, this is this is an odd one because it's not really a women's team update where Josh is doing the the updating. It's really more of me. Just we already talked about the women's team winning the they they are league champions and so now the festivities have occurred which has been pretty cool also really cool that the main account has been featuring uh the the women's team and all that kind of stuff um and so they uh, had an award ceremony uh earlier in the week on the 15th so what was that tuesday sure we'll just mm. say it was tuesday mm-hmm. i don't know um <laughs> then the award ceremony um and they gave out a lot of different awards so shout out to them uh there was Charlie Pot, jeez, Charlie Potts won Player of the Year. Um, well, Charlotte Potts won Player of the Year from the fans' perspective. Uh, the, there's just a bunch of Ebony Knox won Development Most Improved Player. Uh, top scorer was of course uh, Georgia Gibson, and then um, Georgina Sprague won for the development team. So they gave out a lot of awards, and uh, Amanda Stavely was the one handing out the awards alongside some of the other uh owners i think murdad was there as well maybe jamie rubin uh the manager's player of the year if anyone cares was a uh, casey uh what's her last day what is her last name i i've just i looked it up earlier regardless there's a whole thread um but yeah mm. just big shout out that happened as well um and then today thursday as we're recording uh during the bright match they had a walkout during i want to say it might have been during halftime uh, I think it was during halftime where they yeah. were able to be applauded by St. James's in its full 40k people there 
glory. I don't know if it's 40,000. It might be more than that. So that's the women's team. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Josh. They're now in full off-season mode. They take some time to rest, to, to rest and relax. And then I'm sure they'll be, you know, recruiting uh, this summer. And so we'll be, we'll actually for sure be following along on who they are signing and stuff. I know um, we were pretty spot on with it. Shout out to us this season. Uh, just anytime they made signings mid season or whatever, just doing our due diligence on those. And it does, again, it helps that the club is actually, you know, I wouldn't say they didn't care before, but there definitely is a added level of effort being put towards propping up the women's team. They've got their official Twitter badge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, sorted out and all that good stuff and then again they're getting written about all that all that really fun stuff so i don't know anything else to add josh yeah uh becky langley um the manager of the women she came on um uh, pot upon time i think it was and she spoke with chris woff i think it was chris that she spoke with and basically she said Mm. yeah you know they took a night off huh when was this just recently, like on oh, it, on might, it was probably recent. Jacob Whitehead and Calkin. Because remember, we uh, oh. talked about this. Waff is on on paternity leave. Oh, maybe it was. Yes, 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 yes. Indeed. Um. So anyway, the most recent episode of their pod, their fine, wonderful podcast. She basically said, um, they enjoyed the night off after winning, and mm-hmm. she's turning. She's got her focus already on next season. Good. Um. So yeah. So not a whole lot of not a whole lot of time off for them as they prepare for next season and to be quite honest with you like jumping up to the third tier i don't know how else to like you know i kind of spoke at length about the teams that they get to play um on our last episode but Mm -hmm. how else to correlate this this is like the equivalent of you know um a team being promoted from league two to league one and it's just the jump up in competition um for these women they're gonna they're gonna go full professional they're gonna start bringing in players from all around the country and they might still have a couple local ladies as they progress up the table but fewer and fewer right because you know that's just the the way that professionalism works and and you start to bring in more talented players and i'm pretty excited like i i'm proud of all all the players from this season but i'm at the same time sort of excited to see the one or two that they add that take them to that next level, you know, mm-hmm. like the spark plugs that just help make the whole engine roar to life next season. And that'll be really exciting to watch um, this team come together. Yes. And then I, to piggy, to circle back to something I said earlier, manager's player of the year was Casey Ellison. I just could not remember her last mm. name. So I had to look it up. I was thinking but too. And that, I, I was like, up. I was like, we yeah. definitely, we definitely mentioned her. We said it almost <laughs> like yeah. almost every week. Um, and then, uh, Bianca Owens won uh one North player of the season, so that's cool. Good yeah, for her. Fantastic. Um, and then uh Grace Donnelly won the Golden Glove. So shout out to her. So it, again, kind of a testament to the seat, the team, great season, all that jazz. And then uh, speaking of awards, there's been some really cool awards adjacent things. Um for Newcastle, the men's side, uh, we're at the business end of the season, so we're starting to see the nominees for some of the Premier League awards. Um, Eddie Howe, unsurprisingly, on the short list for Manager of the Year. I, I honestly, I, I doubt he wins it. Uh, last year, actually, might have been a better case for him to win Manager of the Year, like you know, realistically. But it, I think it's going to be hard to beat out Deserby and uh, and Arteta. But who knows? I mean, Newcastle, if they end up finishing third. 
uh, and we'll talk about some of the, the history, the record-breaking stuff that's occurred for this team. He does have a decent shout for it, especially if Arsenal if Arsenal don't win the Premier League, it's it's a completely wide open race for uh, for manager of the year. Um, yeah, and then uh, I would say yeah. with the manager of the year list, uh, just the one mm, Deserby, right? He did a good job taking over Brighton, and I just I'm like not a hundred percent convinced that it's entirely his to win either, though, right? Because oh no, I don't think it is. Over. I just think that's like the the that's it's top of mind for people. Yeah. Like I'm not sure like if they have a, what their process is. I don't know if it's like media voting or whatever, but I know that like so narratives always end up taking over things when in reality like it should be the whole season. And if you look at the whole season, you look at how insane of a run Newcastle went on the beginning of the year. How many how many clean sheets they had to start off, and then of course we'll talk about it. But with nine straight games with with conceding a goal right now, it just doesn't look as yeah. good as Zerbi essentially being, you know, unstoppable until today. <laughs> and then Unai Emery is a great story too, and and of course Aston Villa went on a huge tear and mm-hmm. got a bunch of wins in a row, and and uh, almost uh, pulled their club that? into. Was that mid? Mm-hmm. Was that mid-season? Like I can't remember if it was before the international break or if it was like January. Like I just I feel like he hadn't managed a, a long enough, in my opinion. Again, right, right. It was a kind of a January, February, March, and he he jumped in and took over and did a really good job. And no, and that's great. Like I, they're not my favorite team, and and Unai Emery, I'm a little bitter because he turned us down, but we ended up with a better, a better coach, a better than, fit. Better fit. Better fit. Yeah, better fit for sure. Um, so, I, you know, like, he's a shout, but I don't think that he's the right... Like, honestly, it, it's got to be Eddie Howe. Also, based on where the club's going to finish. We're finishing in a European spot, right? No matter yeah. what happens. No matter yeah. what happens, we've Marco, got a European Marco spot. Marco Silva might have a, might have a, a, a point. I mean, he's done some... A lot of people picked Fulham to fail. They, a yeah, lot of people picked say, them just, to go I, I, straight I'm, down. I'm about to say, I'm pretty sure I had him near the bottom. Like, they just hadn't mm. really improved a lot. He's really gotten a lot of those uh, out of those players. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an interesting year. I mean, obviously, Pep is in the running as well, but I... That's just one of those kind of like you could make the case LeBron should be an MVP voting every year. Like it's just there's voters fatigue with that, but there's a fan vote yeah. element in this as well. So that's something I don't, again, the Premier League's not really super clear at, you know, how much of fan vote versus media versus other coaches. So we'll we'll be waiting. But it, again, Eddie Howe has a he has a, a pretty solid case. Uh given just holistically if you look at the whole season it is really hard to find um you know managers better than him maybe outside of Arteta and unfortunately it does feel like if Arsenal don't win the league which it doesn't look like they will um I just it's it'd be really awkward for him to win manager of the year so we'll see we'll see um for sure. Okay, uh, and then just other quickly, other players nominated. Isak and Botman were both nominated for Young Player of the Year, so that's a big testament to Newcastle's recruitment team. Uh, you know, basically first summer of full recruitment team in swing, and uh, the two big young signings that you make both nominated for Young Player of the Year. That has to feel good if you're uh, Dan Ashworth and uh, Darren Eels and that whole backroom staff, uh, uh, or really business side of, of the team, and then. Interestingly enough, this is a this is an odd one because you don't see defenders get this often uh, unless mm-hmm. like 
their anchors of these like stalwart defenses or in mm. this case having a crazy offensive season Karen Trippier nominated for player of the year again I don't know if he'll win it but it's really cool to see him nominated uh, he's obviously uh, got a a couple set piece goals a few set piece goals this season and I think he has a team high eight assists um, <laughs> from the yeah. right back position which has been imperious yeah like, it's, yeah it's in, insanely impressive I think when uh yeah. when people think about attacking output and they they think that like what Trent Alexander Alexander Arnold was doing is the norm or was the norm it just it's like it's always a nice reminder now that we've come back to reality regarding fullbacks and stuff that like if you can get more than you know four or five assists out of a season out of your your fullbacks that's uh that's really good and to have uh Kieran double that and get eight is that that's pretty darn impressive if you ask me yeah. Josh you got something you wanted to oh, talk about yeah one little pat one little last piece of news and notes um Luton well done well done you Luton yeah uh, at, at, at the Kenny they call Kenilworth uh Kenilworth Road they call it the, the Kenny they knocked uh, and I spelt Sunderland five under one land Sunderland <laughs> got <laughs> they got knocked out of the playoffs so I mean I was good either way and here's why if Sunderland were to be promoted wouldn't it be glorious to do the double over them and have them get go relegated with the worst ever record in the history of the Premier League that yeah. that's probably what would have happened because there's no way they would have had the finances to compete but also yeah, like yeah. it would have been nice yeah, and but also it would have decimated their young team because they would have had to sell off a couple of their good players to bring in experienced players. Um, and also some so, of their best players are guys on loan. Um, yeah, like they, it, yeah, it, so. and they don't have the finances to do a forest, so it would have been a glorious uh, dissembly of, 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 of Sunderland. On the other hand, while they do get to stay in the championship for uh, at least another season... Um, they'll develop those players and get better and better fine. But the longer they stay, you know, how many more times will they have to reset and how many more managers will they go through? So I'm just fine either way, whatever happens happens, but uh, just news and note. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I, I think Sunderland are in a decent position to be contending for promotion again next season. Uh, I think they like kind of alluded to it. There's just, there's some stuff they're going to have to figure out internally, but there's a little bit of hope for them to then come up and immediately get relegated again, but it is, you know, I'm not going to be like a, a a Sunderland supporter, but I mean, given how far they fell, it is kind of impressive that they're a somewhat competent team right now. Um, So fair play to them. I mean, fuck them, but fair play. Exactly. Exceeded my very (laughs) low expectations. It was very much like, I didn't even realize they were good until like now because (laughs) reasons i i did the reason is i don't care all right um let's move on uh <laughs> newcastle played leeds on sunday was that sunday or saturday yeah. no saturday it was last saturday 4 30 a.m uh kickoff for me and josh i don't know if never you got never never trust the early start dude never I, so fun fact i'm pretty sure newcastle have not won an early start this year um because i was talking about a ton of one of my friends who um, I have friends who gamble. They they, they listen to this podcast for mm. for gambling advice. I assume. That's and I was a long like, podcast for gambling advice. We don't know what we're talking about. 
to be fair, we've been our predictions have been pretty spot on. So if they were actually taking yeah. our advice, they'd probably be pretty rich because we. Well, except yeah. for this Leeds one. Yeah, we 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 did we did not do well with Leeds, and now I like as soon as I logged off, I realized to myself I was like, why did I pick us to win? Like we haven't won a four thirty a.m. kickoff for us because I've been yeah, pissed every single time. Because I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and we put up an absolute stinker every single time. And I'm just pissed that I woke up and I can't go back to sleep. So, yeah, uh, we did draw 2-2 to Leeds, which, again, in a in a grand scheme of things, probably not the worst result in the world because there were winnable matches left. But felt like a bit of a disappointment uh, for sure. We did have some three words. Josh, did you submit a three words? I might not have, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you okay. why. Um, I don't know. Lousy loss at mm. Leeds. Uh, that's four words, kind of technically. Um, I didn't watch it. Yeah, and and, and 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 it's not the time. It's not. It's, it's not that I'm not dedicated to the time. If they put it on Telemundo or USA, I can't watch it. Mm. I don't have those channels. Yeah, and you, there's no way to just pay for them to be one off. You have to have cable. I, I don't have cable. Or, or so there's was... the, the weird thing where Peacock, for some reason, like you can watch the NBC matches on Peacock, but you can't watch the USA matches on Peacock, right. even though they're all, it's all NBC. It doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, so if you so. see, if you're in the States and you see that it's on the USA network or Telemundo, you can, you can basically count on Josh either not watching it live um, or listening, listening to it on the radio, which is sort of what I did, but it was Wait. so early. So I just kind of laid in, in bed and had it on, on the radio. Interesting. I wonder, Josh, th- this is maybe, this is not the time to have this conversation, but if we play on USA again, maybe try going to the premier league goal rush thing on Peacock, because I thought okay. that premier league goal rush was, a uh, was like a whip around show. And it just isn't, it's just like literally, I think it's the USA game. Um, it might be, it's, oh. it's, it's based, I, I feel like it's the USA game, but it's just with like stats and stuff underneath it. I just remember like looking at it and then knowing, cause it was, it was Saturday. And of course I'm like, well, I might as well try to watch all the other matches. And the, the match they were showing was like the Manchester United game. I was like, I was 90% sure. Well, I'll say I'm 62% sure that was the game That's that was number. on USA. And it was just like staying on that game and not whipping around. And I was like, well, this is dumb. Like, why have this show? It's the worst whip ever. Yeah. So I wonder if that's that's what it is. So well, yeah, anyway. You know, t- great time of year to figure that one out. If you're American, let us know. Uh, for the Brits. I mean, <laughs> Josh, at least we're not British. One of my boys was uh, in England uh, this past weekend. And at he least was like, we're not British. He was like, it's literally it, like he's so used to just being able to watch any match he wants in the prem and he's like this sucks the tvs just show like whatever and you're just stuck watching like some match you don't really care about um and yeah. he wanted to he wanted to watch all the championship playoff stuff but anyway that's beside the point um anyway uh real quick we had a few people give their three words um eric our good friend in Indiana, said wilson never misses in new york city tune says bye bye leads which yeah Feels like it. Big Vegan, which love that name, at Pat Everett says, show the red. And Kim Avery says, I hate Leeds. All very appropriate matches. Uh, sorry, very appropriate responses to a very just odd match. Uh, started off with 
leads with an early one nil lead uh, from Dan Allen. Allen early, yeah, very early. Uh, we also had a missed pen from Patrick Bamford somewhat early on, which almost immediately resulted in a uh, at the. And I'm pretty sure at the at the other end of the pitch, right after that, a penalty yeah, was won and Callum Wilson scored. So it was a two zero to one one swing, which is that's those are tough, especially in a relegation battle because up to O is completely different. And then uh, another pen uh, in the 69th minute uh, and Callum Wilson got himself a nice little bracy brace. Um, and uh, Newcastle went up two one. And then Christensen scored 10 minutes later uh, what to whack. make it two, two and uh, big Sam's teams. Uh, I think there was a stat thrown up about how uh, big Sam's teams in their home debuts have never lost. And that was like that, you know. It, you just there's always no, a, the beat, the beat marks on those stats, and you're like, ah, oh, damn, this is one oh, of those. Damn. Like, yeah. this yeah. is like, you know, you don't you don't have the the confidence you had going into it once you see those those stats about how teams get up for Big Sam. But uh, overall, it was a very dominant performance from Newcastle. If uh, if you're one of the people that believes like possession equals dominance, uh, but for Leeds, like they execute their game plan to perfection. It's it was classic big Sam football absorb uh, counter swing it into your big lad. Uh, and it worked. I mean, you know, Newcastle had double the shots, but they both basically had the same quality of chances. Um, you know, taking away expected goals. It was still uh, sorry, taking away penalties. Uh, it was still uh, pretty spot on. Like it was still a nailed on draw expected goals wise. So that kind of tells the the story. Any, any things that's anything that stood out to you, uh, Josh? Yeah, I, I, I felt like there was a lot of positive play from Newcastle, and I think that that ailing that ailing goal real early. I think um, it made it it gave it gave Leeds a, a sense of enthusiasm and competitiveness that you know like not only not only did they get the new manager bounce, but scoring that early they all it gave them belief do you know what i mean they're yeah. like oh yeah he wasn't wrong let's do this and and they felt like they were in and if you watch the leeds documentary from a couple of years ago it's it's a weird one because you're fam- i'm familiar with a couple of the players and like you know like you get to know players personalities through those documentaries and and i and i feel a little bit for for some of them i don't necessarily want to see some of the players suffer relegation and i don't care for leads one way or the other. Um, Cause you know, whatever I'm. Yeah. I mean, if we I were choosing teams them. to go down out of the bottom six, I don't think either yeah, one of us would have leads in it. You no, know, obviously no, Southampton is there. They, I mean, they, they're, they're fate is sealed, but I'm sure we'd yeah. love to send Everton down and someone else. I'd oh, love to <laughs> love it. Um, But I felt like, I, I also thought that Newcastle, didn't they have, something go against them. There was a, there was a, you know, I can't remember. I didn't write the highlight down. I just felt like they had, they had opportunity. And when they went two one up on, on the second penalty, they were like, they could have put this to rest and, and scored one more, but they couldn't, they couldn't hold on. They couldn't, they couldn't finish the job. And um, there's, you know, that clumsy, that clumsy series of, of plays in the box where the ball just cut, they just couldn't clear it. And that's when it, you know, that's when it came out to um, who's his name that took a lash at it. Christensen was it mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, and and uh, it took that deflection. It, it, he didn't score that cleanly. That took a deflection that um, you know Pope would have been on that ball, but it came off of what Trippier's leg and mm-hmm. deflected into the goal. And I just like it was one of those where you shake your head because I I feel like Newcastle were right there. They were on the cusp of it, and for some reason the you know it just didn't add up for them at Leeds. Yeah, I think the the one of the big things that you kind of mentioned is there was there was highlights, but it was probably a collection of Furpo fouls that you might have oh, been. Speaking you know, of. you you <laughs> last yeah. week you're like, yeah, we were like, is there any player at Leeds you would buy? And I was like, no. And you're like, no. What about Furpo? And I was like, and then I felt I felt justified as he's the worst soccer player I've ever seen, dude. <laughs> sure. Well, he had a bad game. Yeah, I mean, he did, but he, he had a bad – uh, was it a bad game? I mean, they got a draw and basically got a draw because he kept fouling <laughs> and not getting called for it until the very last second. The The penalty the penalty was his fault, so I guess that counts. But he also won them the penalty that Bamford missed, so – like, I felt like shouldn't have he had, shouldn't he have gone shouldn't he have got a second yellow card for the intentional oh, for, handball? Uh, so yeah, that was part of it. Was uh, yeah, so that was that was the the that's the that's what I was getting to. That's the moment in which you probably felt Newcastle were hard done by because Newcastle could have been two one up, uh, yeah, to playing two one up, um, uh, basically playing up a man two one. And at that point, momentum had shifted a little bit. Like Newcastle had started to create a lot of opportunities, but yes, there was this weird like. Um, like there's a handball in the box and uh, ironically, like I saw this, uh, not handball. It was like, yeah, his handball was deliberate. So it should have been a red card in some people's eyes, but I don't, I mean, it just wasn't. And unfortunately we don't really get insight into why things are the way they were, but he was awarded a yellow instead of a red. Um, so we'll see. And then he got us, but then even after that, and I think part of the frustration was just uh, he had already had some yellow card ish challenges. And so in the eyes of, of many yellow or red, that should have been him getting sent him off, off because he yeah. should have already been on a yellow based off of just, he was fouling, you know, fouling players since the, the 10th minute and not, you know, not the best challenges. Uh, one other thing of note I wanted to point out is uh, in Arsenal and in, in the Leeds match, Newcastle did run the 4-3-3 with Isak and Wilson. And mm. both times it looked not good. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it, it was very much like, let's time to pull the plug on that experiment. experiment. And even in this Brighton match, uh, it, it I I don't, I mean, and we'll get to it later. It, I didn't think it really worked. Like, I didn't think Isak was as dangerous as he has looked. So, that's something to think about for the summer is uh, not for this, maybe not for the, yeah, for the summer. Um, it's a, it's a longer conversation. Cause that I mean, at this point in the business end of the season, you're not really tweaking too much tactically, which also might be not part of it. Is, I think, you know, Eddie Howe wants to put them both on the pitch at the same time, but you know, there's, there's, there's limitations to, to that uh, when you, when you don't really have true, you don't have like a true double pivot in the midfield. Like, like Bruno can play, you know, in that role, but there, there's no one who can really play alongside Bruno. That you feel comfortable doing that, you know, with for the entirety of the match, you still don't want to give up stuff in the midfield. So I, I completely get it, but the, you know, it's worth having them on the field together, but it, it did not look that pretty. Um, And then, yeah, uh, the other kind of key moments from that uh, just, 
we saw ASM come on, did not look like, I mean, he didn't look, he, he didn't look good. I mean, I, I'm trying to be nice, but uh, there was the, the common sentiment online during that period was this might be the last time we see ASM play for Newcastle. Um, uh, there's been some, I think there's been some just roster building speculation guys out there. Good friend Kev mm-hmm. Lawson, which if you're not following him, give him a follow. He's, he's really tapped into, uh, he's, he's a stats guy that also is a, a actual like watches film. So he's, he blends the stats with the, with the, uh, the actual footballing knowledge and seeing things with his eyes. So he, he's good. Shall he mentioned something interesting, which was that Jacob Murphy is on a fairly cheap enough deal and has kind of cemented himself as a rotational player that Eddie has no reason not to keep him. Right. Yeah. There's really no reason not to keep him. And it's, I, I, he's also one of the, and this is, this is my opinion. I'm adding on to it, but he's one of those players where this is probably the best version of him you're going to get. So I don't know if there's a market for him per se. Like, I don't think that if he goes to a different team that he's going to like all of a sudden become like a 10 goal a season winger. Like, I don't think that's the case. Maybe unless it's the championship and he's probably not leaving for that. Miguel Amron just recently signed an extension, I want to say. So it's unlikely that he gets sold. Uh, obviously, they just signed Anthony Gordon. Obviously, you're not selling Isak. You're not selling Callum Wilson. Only attacker left if you need to make an attacking splash in order to clear a spot for someone. And again, you're not getting rid of Elliot Anderson because of the, you know, under 23. He doesn't count against our squad total and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the only, yeah, the only player left is ASM and there is a market for him. So if you put two, two, two and two together, it feels as if his time in Newcastle is probably done. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't look good in that match is all, is all I was really trying to say. And Anthony Gordon looked okay. Uh, nothing, nothing really crazy, but I, and, ASM and Gordon combined a little bit, but for the most part, you know, ASM didn't look that good. So, mm, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I cool. Don't, I don't know if that's the last time we see him, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, especially now where we are in the season and how things look, it was odd. And we'll we'll we're about to get into Brighton, but it was odd that Newcastle didn't make any subs in the Brighton match that they didn't have to make. Literally, meaning like they Joe Willock like was in a heap and they were like we have to take this guy off Mm, so that was an interesting dynamic uh and so that uh, maybe that was a we know that winning this is important so let's just let's just grind this out type of thing all right um and then there was a weird moment in the match the last thing we'll we'll talk about on this and then we'll get into the players of the match uh weird moment in the leads one leads match where a fan just it was so odd because it was like Perfect moment. And Josh, I don't know if you saw the footage of this because you saw the highlights. I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was very odd. Like they were showing Eddie Howe, um, like just doing the typical, like cut to the manager, like as he's contemplating what to do because it was tied. And a fan just came up to Eddie Howe, just like pushed him and then was like escorted off the pitch. And it was just like, so, it shocked everyone because again, it's one of those like, some you know some color commentators talking over like oh man you know I don't know what I'd do if I were Newcastle in this situation you just see this guy come up to Eddie how are they showing a wide shot of him just push him and everyone's like what the fuck just happened so uh, that fan was uh, Eddie he made a comment about it in the in the press conference afterwards uh, you know talking about just 
you know, safety and all that kind of jazz. And then, um, and, you know, Newcastle just big, big play, uh, player and coach. Sorry, big uh, like safety police this season with like the the cup matches and and just the complaints being filed by fans and the club, all that kind of stuff. But that fan was um was removed from the stadium and has a lifetime ban from Ellen Road, and I think he might have been arrested. So, um, sucks for him. Maybe maybe don't don't push an opposing manager. But again, yeah, uh, maybe don't assault somebody, you know, based on your personal belief. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't know exactly what he said. There had been some implication from the Guardian that he may have said something about Eddie Howe's employer. And yeah, but this is coming from the Guardian who all season long, basically since the takeover have had an anti Newcastle. I think that they've always been anti Newcastle. Like I think most, I mo- I would say to- mo- most, most national media has been anti Newcastle. Like even before the, entire, the yeah, because you got to remember before, before the takeover. I th- yeah, they yeah, were a laughing stock and yeah. Well, you know, go on. I cut you off. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say before the takeover, the the national media storyline was that the fans are ungrateful um, because fans would protest Mike Ashley like not spending money, and like yeah. like they would the, the the national media, BBC, everyone would would get on and they'd talk about fan protests. And of course, meanwhile, Manchester United fans are like being celebrated, and Liverpool fans are being celebrated for protesting against their tyrannical owners who are spending, you know, 300, 400 million pounds a year. And Newcastle fans are like, Mike Ashley has literally spent, there was, there were multiple transfer windows where we did not spend any money. And, uh, and, and, and And the fans are in the wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Fans are in the wrong. They should just be grateful that they have an owner like Mike Ashley to that wants to invest in the club. So there was, there was that beforehand. And then again, uh, as Josh said, you know, it's not a lot has changed, uh, even though the circumstances changed. Obviously, TV pundits are all in on Newcastle because obviously from a TV perspective, um, anytime you get a, a team that's starting to get good and you recognize potential, because I think some broadcasting companies, especially in UK, maybe made a mistake not going all in on Man City uh, when they when they got taken over. And I think people don't want to make that mistake again and miss out on an opportunity to make even more money by fe- featuring Newcastle more and all that kind of jazz. But yeah, as you were saying, it was that it was uh very, very similar. Basically they just, I think that you could hear it from the football ramble, which is a podcast I regularly enjoy mm-hmm. and they're always much more lighthearted about it. And they even sort of vocal, they, they vocalize this to Pete, um, Donaldson, who's, you know, the resident Newcastle fan on that podcast. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, we're mostly just sad that we don't get to make fun of you anymore. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I think part of it is that Newcastle was always sort of the butt of everyone's punditry. And, and a part, I think there's a, a bitterness that it's not their team, Yeah, you know? And, there is and, a and I know that now. sounds, ch- there's that sounds childish of me to say it that way, but like they, they're acting childish. And, uh, and, and for sure, like, look, if you're, if you're criticizing the owners of the team, um, I get it. I struggle with that, but it is what it is, right? You and I can't change that. Anyhow, the, the, you know, and so to, to, to circle completely back, the criticism that's laid upon Eddie Howe is the fans can't change who owns the team, but you can decide not to work for them. And he's like, you know, he's like, I, I'm not going to speak for them, you yeah. know, and, 
And and the last thing I'll say about this is that um, Barry Glendening from The Guardian, I think that, funny, of all the people that could have said it, um, a, a Sunderland supporter who has basically just not been very pleasant about Newcastle for a very, very long time, he, he said it eloquently, actually. He, he said, um, by not saying anything, Eddie Howe has said all that he's that he has to say, and, and really everyone should just leave it at that. He's he's obviously fine with it. Why are we why are we going to keep bugging him? And yeah. so for the fans that jump on the field and yell at him and push on him, he's not going to give you what you want. He's not he's he's not the the figurehead of of whoever owns Newcastle. And no matter how much you rage against it, that can't change it. I also think people have to understand that that especially in in football uh that that's not uncommon like you you just don't see managers openly speak out against ownership outside of a couple of guys who are known as like brash and all this other stuff there's some larger personalities and but outside of that like you know Mourinho yes you know maybe Conte at times um and Mourinho just basically his he's always just been criticizing ownerships for ownership for not buying players he wants but other than that like you don't see pep speaking about ownership you don't see uh you don't see deserby speaking about ownership you don't see marco silva speaking about ownership of any kind whether it's good bad team spending money owner you know could murder someone and they're not going to comment on it because that's just not the culture uh amongst amongst footballing there uh, and real quick, the quote from Eddie Howe at the press conference was, I can't repeat what he said, but it makes you think of what if. It was personal to me. We need to be mindful of security. Nobody should, to, should have to feel their personal safety is violated when trying to entertain the country. Um, I didn't have time to be fearful. It was over in a flash, but it made me think about things afterwards. So I would I would imagine that if it was Saudi-related, that the, the, the person made some sort of threat to Eddie Howe, um, not just a, hey, you should – you should say something like a a violent threat regarding you know something yeah. or another. Uh, so that's unfortunate. But um, anyway, let's hop into. Is there a player in the match in this one for you besides uh, the the pretty obvious Callum Wilson? I <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I usually try to be all hipster about my picks and not pick the goal scorer because it's too obvious. But really, like in a match in in a match where there wasn't a lot going for Newcastle, um, Callum Wilson has been a great story at the end of the season. And for him to get two more goals to add to his total, um, he's my player of the match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it was an odd one because attack didn't look great. I, I think Miggy was probably close to back to kind of levels of being really fully fit, but still clearly not great. Bruno, not the best match. He looked injured, picked up a yellow. Uh, Joe Willick was fine. Uh, Joel Linton, I think, would was is probably, you know, if it's not Wilson, it's probably him for me. Just was a, an engine, and I think he has started to he he and we'll talk about this in the Brighton one. The Brighton one is probably the the match in which it you it felt like the presence of Sean Longstaff wasn't missed. It doesn't mean that we don't miss his presence. It just means that that felt like the match in which Newcastle finally figured out how to play without him in the midfield. And this this other match, the leads, felt like a step for step towards that where Jolinton was just really physical and really good at making some of the Leeds midfielders like Cock and uh, and Weston McKinney really uncomfortable. I think like midfield wise, Newcastle's midfield did just much better. I mean, Sam Greenwood, not great. Cock was 
all right. And, and McKinney probably one of not, not a great showing from him um, as well. And McKinney future Brighton player, fun fact. And that leads us right into our next match. Yeah. Like that transition. Yeah. Someone hired. That is a fun um, fact. I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> yeah. They, I uh, think it's a 30 uh, leads have denied. It's, it's, it's one of the really, really hot transfer rumors leads, uh, not lead. Yeah. Leads have, are not picking up his 30 million pound buy option. I think it is. Interesting. Um, and Brighton is, is seemingly the one who's going to swoop in for that, uh, which is interesting because Brighton have, good young midfielders i think brighton are anticipating losing some of those midfielders uh and one of which is a subject of maybe to of, of the pod right now caicedo mm-hmm. uh, i don't think he's going to be a brighton uh player next season he is a nice player and he's been filling in for them at right back which leads us into uh lineups so uh brighton went to 4-2-3-1 danny welbeck up top mm-hmm. matoma undav Facundo Bono, I don't know how to say his name. Just Facundo. Note. What, yeah, I think you're just calling Facundo. Uh, Billy Gilmore uh, and uh, Pascal Gross as, as their double pivot. Uh, Estupinan uh, at left back. Lewis Dunk at right back. Van Heck. Sorry, Lewis Dunk at center back. Van Heck at center back. And then Caicedo, who's normally a CDM, was playing as a right back. Uh, Brighton are dealing with a lot of injuries. I mean, a lot of injuries. Uh, Sully mm-hmm. March, Tariq Lamptey was out, which you know, that's, of course, who would normally be playing uh, uh, right back for for mm-hmm. uh, for them. Adam Leilana was out. Um, Adam Webster, uh, Jacob Motor, Sarmiento was out. I mean, Veltman. And then uh, who else? Robert Sanchez, I think, was out as well. So, And I believe uh, uh, Alexis McAllister just came back. Like, wasn't this his yeah, first game back? Yeah. Yeah, McAllister first game back as well. So, um, again, a lot of injuries for Brighton. So, I, I there was a lot of pre-match fear, including from myself, especially with how flat Newcastle looked against Leeds, like especially in the attack, that this this Brighton match, even though Brighton got destroyed over the weekend, uh, it didn't feel as confident as maybe we felt playing Brighton, you know, a, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, it just not not something I was looking forward to. Uh, I thought it was going to be a, a cheeky, a squeaky bum time match. And it was for the most, for the majority of it, actually, it actually yeah, was. The scoreline's a little misleading, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was, it was squeaky bum time until the third goal uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah. And then Newcastle uh, sent out some uh, almost identical lineup. Actually, I think it is identical lineup to what they ran yeah. at Leeds Pope and goal, same back line. It's been all season. Uh, same midfield we've seen the past couple times with Willard Bruno and Joelinton. Miguel Amron up top with Callum Wilson. Sorry, Miguel Amron out wide with Callum Wilson up top. Alexander Isak out wide. Uh, goals in this one. Undav got a, a goal for Brighton. Um, he also got a goal for Newcastle. He, Undav was the first goal scorer. So off a Kieran Trippier cross off a corner that he tried to glance away, but glanced into his own net. And then uh, Dan Byrne uh, made it 2-0 uh, in extra time of the first half. And the tale of two halves, Newcastle very dominant in the first half, all over the pitch. Uh, Brighton were trying to play out of the back, did not work not at all. Uh, and then coming out in the second half, Undav scored in the 51st minute, a through ball that was like, it was too easy of a goal. I mean, just it, that's uh that's we'll, we'll talk about that in a second but 
too easy yeah. of a goal. Uh, through ball, just completely through a goal, one v one with with Nick Pope, and it was it was squeaky bum time at that point because it was very evident the the inside St. James's, and obviously from where we were watching, which is uh, what actually Josh, you you couldn't watch Susan USA, sorry. Uh, but no, but uh, I did listen on radio. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> the, the, the app, it was it was very tense. I don't know if that came through on the radio, uh, but the atmosphere was super tense at that two one. Like just very like you know, everyone in St. James is trying to egg everyone on, but this like sense of anxiety and worry that like we're going to give up another goal again and it's going to be two two, and we're going to walk away from this match that we probably should have won with based on the first half performance and it's going to be a draw we're gonna to have to win our last two matches and blah 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 um mm-hmm. but then uh Cal wilson scored the third goal in the 89th minute uh to pretty much seal it uh it was a wonderful through ball nice run by miguel Amaron who We'll talk about him. Uh, he looked good. Uh, nice run by him. Really nice weighted through ball. Found Callum Wilson all by himself. 1v1. Callum Wilson versus keeper. He wins that battle 95% of the time. He scores a third. And then Bruno with the fourth, uh, which was good to see Bruno score. He's had, you know, he's been dealing with a nagging ankle injury. Has not really looked great the last few weeks. Uh, and didn't look great in this match at all as, as well. But uh, but scored and definitely you could tell he was very emotional after it. Like he he wanted to feel like he was contributing to this run and wanted to feel like he was contributing uh, to what is actually going to go down as a historic season for Newcastle, which is absurd to say out loud. But it's now getting to a point where regardless of how the season shakes out, champions are gonna. This is this is a a historic season for Newcastle. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Josh, after I rambled about all that stuff, do you have any any thoughts uh, on this one? Um, I kind of set the table for you to talk about the first half and the difference or talk about individual players and things you may have noticed. Up to you where we go next. Uh, I've, I found what was interesting going into the match, and, and we didn't get a chance to preview this, was um, uh, Dennis Undoff. He's he, he had, prior to this game, I think scored three and three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, he starts the game off with an own goal off the corner. Um, I think it was a great, I think it was a, a, a great set-piece kick uh, by Trippier. Um, unfortunate for Undoff, unfortunate for us. We went up 1-0. Um, Dan Byrne, Dan Byrne again, and and I and I he, he you know he gets his goal as the home hometown lad, and um, first league goal for Newcastle because he did he, score in a cup. People yeah. forget uh, that's right. But it was Trippier again, right? Who put that mm-hmm. put it, put it on the money for him? Um, just a beautiful, a beautiful kind of headed back against the grain, and I, I, I feel like Newcastle in the first half, um, I felt like they had it under under control. Oh, for sure. I don't. I, it, it just felt like uh, it felt like the first half had it kept on going at that rate, but it was when we came back. It, uh, Dennis Undov's um, his goal in the fifty-first minute, I believe. That through ball, like he just. I mean, that was just like a slice and dice right up the middle, right? It was like a yeah, a hot knife through butter, and yeah, and, and, and it and was it, like, go on, go ahead, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just at four, four and four for him, and it was just. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was finished really well, and there was nothing Pope could do about that. And I, th- I think that that one of the sort of the byproducts of of um, high pressure is sometimes it gets broken down like that. Yeah, 
And so uh, just to briefly talk about what was going on tactically in the first half or second half and why it felt like we played a different Brighton side is that Deserby, like, you know, we were talking about manager of the year. He, I mean, there is a, you know, ride your coattails, blah, blah, Ruha, Ruha, how much, but he is a, he's tactically a very good manager. Um, and what we saw here was Brighton have been really successful this year. Uh, be able to play a little bit of possession style, playing out of the back, all this other stuff. And just with the changes on the back line, as well as just, you know, Newcastle are really good at pressing and picking the moments in which to press. Brighton tried to play out of the back in the first half a bunch, and it didn't work. Uh, You know, actually, like, one of the big talking points going into this, uh, into this, uh, into this match was just Jason Steele has been on fire as a distributor uh, out the back for Brighton as their keeper. He's been he was been on fire as a distributor. Like everyone's been talking about his passing range. It's it was it was a lot of just like man, like that's one of the things you can point at to why Brighton have been so successful is that you know they're but getting the a lot of half, good right? distrib- yeah yeah getting a lot of distribution out of the back uh, really well. And part of that is just like he was able to, they were able to play out of the back and lull guys and lull, lull teams into being comfortable and he could ping balls pretty much anywhere he wanted to. It was really cool. It, again, great team, not discrediting them. Like they, they are really good. They got hit with injury bug at the worst possible time for sure. Yeah. But in the second yeah. half, uh, they kind of knew they realized, okay, we can't play out the back, not against this Newcastle team who's pressing us so well. There was plenty of opportunities for that to be three or four nil in the first half, just based off of pressing alone. And um, they started playing long balls because Newcastle were committing so many guys to the press. I mean, there were moments in which you right. got like Fabian Cher pressing up alongside Miguel Amaron. And so when you're you're a, you're you're pressing that aggressively, you're going to be susceptible to things at the back. And mm-hmm. again, they were picking their moments, Newcastle for sure. But in that particular moment, where where um, you know they're able to get a through ball up the middle, it's often Miguel Amaron miss. Uh, where you know he's right in front of target, like right in front of goal. There's like five Newcastle players in the attacking third, and the back line it like felt like they were completely asleep. You know, Trippier's way up there with the attack. You only got a few guys back, and a simple ball over the top that should have been dealt with by Cher or Bobman just wasn't. And and that's yeah. that, that that goal happened. Uh, and then as that match wore on, there was still a, a Brighton kind of fell into a little bit we're controlling it a little bit better not just they had they were able to string some passes together and stuff like that but it it did feel like defensively Newcastle they they didn't they weren't able to do what they wanted to do uh you saw the pressing stop uh almost all together and Newcastle were kind of helping absorb just really not trying to give up a second goal and it actually kind of played into what Brighton wanted to do. Yeah, that backfires. But, yeah, it, and again, it it, it it back it it backfired a little bit for Newcastle. But then Newcastle were completely comfortable playing on the counter as well. So it was it was nice. It was actually a nice little tactical chess match because I think Eddie Howe was completely fine absorbing pressure, absorbing pressure, absorbing pressure, and trusting that he had the right personnel on the pitch to be able to deal with some of that stuff. But especially. You know, given the fact that now you're just losing defenders, you know, sorry, losing midfielders left and right. We'll talk about Joe Willock, but Joe Willock yeah. went off much earlier than anticipated. So you're really not going to get true box box stuff. You got to bring on an attacking guy like Ellie Anderson. So best case scenario, you're probably going to want to just absorb pressure and just everyone defend, everyone defend. Don't even worry about trying to press, blah, blah, blah. 
and ultimately Newcastle score because they win the ball back and they're able to counter effectively. And that's one thing that like got and gets lost, but it was something that made Newcastle really good early on and made in things that fans were excited about when we brought in the type of attacking players we brought in initially, like when we had ASM and Carol Wilson, Yamra, and it was like, these are players who all at their respective clubs were really good counterattacking footballers. And like, we just forgot about that because Eddie Howe's mold <laughs> something much better. But yeah, yeah, you saw like that Miguel Amarone counterattack. That's what I saw at Atlanta United. Like that's what made me a Miguel Amarone fan was stuff like that. And then him playing a delicious through ball um, over to Callum Wilson. So that was cool to see uh, is, you know, it was a nice little chess match down the stretch is all I'm saying. Yeah, I think that that's evident in the stats, too. When you take a look at the possession totals, you had, and this is like mind-blowing, Newcastle only had 34% uh, possession on the match, mm. and they were lapped um, in passes. Uh, Brighton passed them off the pitch, uh, 505 passes to 252. But Newcastle outshot them like 3-1. to one. Um, They had 22, 22 shots to 8, so it was just a little bit under 3-1, to one, but 9 shots on target to 2 shots on target. So even though they were being out-possessed, I, I, you know, you mentioned, did I, did I, did, was there a sense of concern or worry on the radio? And I think John Anderson usually does a good job um, of sort of voicing concern. He's a good, he's a good griper. He's a moaner and a complainer. And I just, I didn't, I didn't really get a sense of that in this match. And I wonder if there was just some, even though there, there was a lot of possession by Brighton, almost felt like there was a sense of calm within Newcastle. And even though I didn't get to watch it until tonight, I watched the highlights. Um, And that doesn't always give you a sense of how the match is going. That just sort of shows you the, the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. scores and such, but um, it didn't seem like it. There wasn't a sense of dread. I yeah. think maybe there was sort of like a doldrum period where we, we really needed to score after that, that Brighton goal. And we didn't mm-hmm. get that for a half yeah. hour. And there was, there was some, there was a kind of, it was too quiet, a little too quiet. You know what I mean? But there wasn't dread, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, just say so you no. Know, I know, you know, this Josh, we actually hit the, the hour, the, I think it's eight hours or whatever. Uh, <laughs> We're not. We're, we're, I think we just hit that since the end of the match or whatever. So that, that you can watch the second half. I would actually encourage you to watch the second half because I think there was another match like that we were talking about earlier this season where just the sense you got from the radio call was different than what you actually saw, like watching mm. with your very own eyes. And I'll tell you, I mean, that was probably one of the more tense halves I've watched this entire season, um, and the, the, it was just like so much tension and like part of that is just the, 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 the like hearing St. James's and how they were responding to things in the first half and it was just like it was classic St. James's versus the second half where there was those moments of quietness but like you could hear the frustration in not being able to score um in, in the second half and that that was that was that was that was that was something that like I don't know if you, you, you pick that up on the radio, especially when you have guys, like you said, that are confident of certain things. Because, yeah, the players didn't really look all too concerned or worried. Like, Newcastle, like, dealt with every single ball, you know, in the box, all that kind of stuff, since they after they conceded. Like, they were fine winning the ball back, but there was, like, that weird sense of concern that the fans were putting on themselves, essentially. Um, 
Before we get into best players, um, and if any, if Josh has anything else, he can obviously weigh in. Do you want to read out just a couple of stats that that stood out to me? Um, that kind of talk about how great, uh, how interesting this was, and the implications of this uh, match uh, for Brighton. Uh, they actually lead the league in own goals with six, which I just did oh, not. That's it. You, you had such a stat good for season. them. Yeah, I was saying you have such a good season. That's just like a very random stat that I didn't expect. Um, Newcastle have scored four more goals in eight Premier League matches this season, which is as many times as they managed to do in their previous 10 campaigns combined. So Say that again. Say that again. So Newcastle scored four or more goals in eight Premier League matches this season. That right there is as many as Newcastle have scored in their last 10 Premier League seasons combined. Four goals in one game. Yeah. So yeah, four okay. goals. So this season we've scored four or more goals in one game eight times, and that is as many times as we scored four or more goals in the last ten Premier League seasons. Gotcha. Yeah, I I got one for you. I got one okay. for you. Newcastle United have now scored sixty seven goals in the Premier League this season. That's mm-hmm. their most in a top flight campaign since scoring seventy four goals in two thousand one two under oh. Sir Bobby. Yeah. And then I think we might we might have we might come to the table with the with the last final stat. This one was definitely floating around. I don't actually know if it's been confirmed, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, tonight since there's only two matches left in the season. It's now official that Newcastle could lose the last two matches, and it would still be the lowest number of losses in a top flight season in Newcastle's 131 years of existence. Newcastle have lost five times this season. If they lose the last two, it'd be seven out of uh, seven times, and that's the lowest it's been at the club at top flight season for 131 years. Oh, that's gorgeous. I've got yeah. one that's nice. I've okay. got one that's nice. Newcastle United have, have won 69 points in the Premier League this season. Nice, nice right? Yeah, yeah. 20 more, 20 more than they won last year, mm. and that's their most in a campaign since 2002. Wow. which was also 69. So what I'm saying, what I'm hearing you say is that we got to just lose the last two. I mean, we like, that's not the goal, but if, Oh, it's if, always, it's always good to have a nice stat, but I'm not, I'm always down for better. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. You, you're, you're, you, you want the, uh, what would be 75 points. That's a nice number. I'll take it. If we win the last two, um, which yeah, likely. Um, hey. all right. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't. Do you have anything else match wise to add before we uh, do our, our players in the match and then hop into a, a quick little Leicester preview? No, I think I'm good. I've just o- overall, I think um, watching back the highlights at the end of this one since I didn't get to watch it live, and I will, I will go and watch the whole replay uh, probably tomorrow. I have uh, some time to myself. Um, the at the after the Bruno goal, it was very emotional. And I think that he dedicated okay. it to a child. I'm not 100 oh, yeah, percent sure. He did. he did. There's a and, kid that um, has like a terminal illness, which yeah, that, that sucks. But yeah, it was so emotional. And um, I mean, I, I kind of I heard that in the broadcast, and then watching the highlights, I was actually like getting a little misty eyed. And I think Bruno just he gets it. He gets it. You know, we've seen a lot of really good players come through 
who for one reason or another, the manager, they didn't pick them. They didn't play them in the right formation. I, I can think of Florian Tovan or Remy Cabella and, you know, other players that have come through that we could have loved, but we never had a chance to, or players that we did love, but they left yeah, too like soon. Yeah, like Sadio Dumbia. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh man um you know Antonio but, Brecca, you know just some players we could have loved but you know but i think of peter like peter lovenkranz like yeah that's a good one i i adored peter lovenkranz and and you know just like the or ongoing Mikel moreno's another good one too where you know he i think he left too professor. soon you know yeah um but we get bruto Right. And, and yeah. Bruno is just a class above any, you know, anybody that I might have mentioned, but in more ways than one. And I think he gets Newcastle and um, just I got a little misty eyed about his reaction and how much this season means to him and seeing how elated he is and Trippier and everyone who they kind of put it out. You know, they, 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 they went out on a limb and they joined Newcastle, you know, despite you know, offers probably from other teams that were, you know, probably promising a more secured finish. And they, you know, they put their money where their mouth is and Eddie Howe has led them to the promised land. So we're going to Europe no matter what. Yeah. And uh, yeah, fair play to Bruno. I think, like you said, he gets it. And I think that there's nothing more evidence than that. than like, there is always, uh, there's always the discourse on Twitter, uh, which it's discourse, discourse. If there wasn't already like i don't know that's just the discourse app um and there's always (laughs) talk about bruno hasn't looked good since his ankle and blah blah blah. and you know players see everything online these days and you know some players would respond to that stuff you know some way shape or form that may not be appropriate but bruno has just consistently been apologetic for not playing up to the own standards that he has for himself. And he'll be like, Newcastle will win a match four one. And he'll say, I'm so sorry. You know, good win today. I'm so sorry. I'm not at my best. I'll, I'll work on it and try to be better for you. All the fans next time. And it's like, this guy is saying this in the midst of one of the best seasons. These fans have seen in 20 plus years. And he's apologizing for his performances because he wants to be better for the fans. He gets it. Like he gets yeah. it. I mean, he, he just gets it. Um, so who's your uh, man in the match? Um, Mickey, I think it's Miggy in this yeah. one. And, and I don't know if the stats hold up, but when I look at what his, maybe it's Kieran Trippier. I don't know. Like, because think about that great run, right? That great run by Miggy to get that, the, to unlock that third yeah. goal for Wilson. Um, but who, who, who initiated that? It was Trippier won that ball back. You know, Trippier won yeah. that ball back and then and then got it to Miggy and then Miggy made that run. But but I would say Miggy had some really good moments. He didn't stand out. Um, he didn't score, right? And so it doesn't it doesn't he stand almost out. Did, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I'm like sort of like maybe fifty percent Kieran and fifty percent Miggy. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna say it's Miggy. I think uh, defensively, especially once Newcastle had to defend. I mean, he was unreal, uh, and I, I do think that that's worth noting. I think that's important uh, to get that that pressing going. He was unreal in the press. Also, uh, worth mentioning from for for Miguel, it's really good delivery as well. I think this was one of those matches where 
we saw a little bit more variation in attack from him instead of just cutting inside. He was playing in balls. He'd fizzed the ball early on into to Joe Willick. He'd had a pretty delicious cross off of a off of a, a not botched set piece, but like a kind of broken spell of, of play after a set piece. Really swung in a nice ball. And again, some of these balls weren't finding places, weren't, sorry, weren't finding people. So it was actually really cool that he got an assist off again another delicious ball and, and nice run from him. So solid stuff from him also one other thing of note and i'll just kind of tie this into to the players in the match do want to give a shout out to joel Linton and joel uh because this i i alluded to this earlier but this did feel like one of the matches where it sean longstaff wasn't necessarily missed and that was very much due to how eddie how game plan for this basically had um jo, uh, joel Linton and joe willick uh man marking um uh, Billy Gilmore and Pascal Gross and just really making them uncomfortable so that we he knows Brighton wants to play out, out of the back. And so when you take away that option uh, of of your two midfielders that your your center backs are going to try to take when whenever they beat that initial first they beat they beat those first first couple of pressers and their their next option is usually just going to be to try to get it to the midfield. Joel Linton and, and Joe Willock were just p- literally playing man to man on these guys, playing so tight that like that that wasn't an option anymore. So they effectively took Gross and Billy Gilmore out of the equation altogether. Someone showed to the fact that like you know Brighton made a lot of subs and they took off both Pascal Gross and Billy Gilmore. <laughs> like yeah. those were some among the first subs they made, and obviously Danny Welbeck, you know, always got a sub the striker. Well, all but, the subs uh, are offensive subs, right? Yeah. So yeah, they were not only frustrated but exhausted. Yeah, and uh, and Newcastle made only one sub. Uh, this is a sad one, uh, but Elliot Anderson had to come on because Joe Willock's season uh, effectively ended. Unfortunately, uh, just pulled up, pulled some sort of muscle. It's one of those where you know he had to get helped off the pitch. He's grabbing the back of his leg. You just know, you just hope that it's not anything super long term. But it's also it's just not worth. It's just not worth him playing the last two games, even if it is we need to win one, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, it's one of those you risk injuring it even more. So uh, there you go. That was uh, that was Newcastle's, you know, week in a nutshell. Let's let's hop into Leicester real quick. Um, yeah. Newcastle let's are playing Leicester next Monday. Uh, should be an, an, an exciting uh, match potentially it's another home match uh potentially one in which newcastle have secured champions league uh liverpool play villa this weekend and i do believe um if, if the math is correct and this is what they said on the broadcast if villa wins uh pretty much pretty much secures uh, uh champions league football for newcastle because uh, yeah. Liverpool are the the closest suitors at this moment, and I want to say Brighton was actually right behind them. Uh, yeah, Brighton was right behind them. Villa still have an outside chance, I think. But I think if Man U win, then it just becomes pretty much Newcastle and Man U. Uh, so uh, th- there is a possibility. All I'm saying that this could be you know wrapped up by Monday, but this is also the probably the the best chance on paper for Newcastle to uh, secure Champions League outright by themselves at home in front of the home fans. So you, you'd imagine the lads are up for it. You kind of getting that sense. It's the business end of the season with how Eddie Howe is it, it treated this last match, just leaving his best players on and just saying, 
grind it out, grind it out, grind out. I don't care. We're not making subs. Grind this shit out. Like you're, we're just gonna win. Yeah. And it it worked. Uh, so uh, for for some for some reference, um, Newcastle obviously just set the table there. They are obviously looking for Champions League and to expand upon uh, the the records Josh and I already mentioned earlier in the pod. And then uh, Leicester in the thick of it in the relegation battle. Um, it is super tight at the bottom. Uh, for reference, Forest are probably the safest out of the bottom half. West Ham have an opportunity this weekend to uh, completely secure, uh, uh, not not completely secure, but to pretty much secure uh, their their safety. So they're kind of out of it. Forest are at 34 points. Everton at 32 points. Leeds at 31 points. Leicester at 30 points. And Southampton have already been relegated. So it's between yeah. Everton, Leeds, Leicester right now. Maybe you throw in Forrest in there if if they don't pick up a result this weekend and Everton maybe win or something like that. But it's 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 coming down between the between those four. So must win match for Leicester. Uh it, it's it's just really looking like it's gonna be them and Leeds going down, unfortunately. Again, we're we're all hoping for Everton to to <laughs> to lose out and and that be the case. But uh yeah, so that's that's kind of setting the table and then uh real quick, injuries this is not fun. Uh obviously Emil Kraft, uh but it, injuries are piled up for both for both sides. So we'll just say that. Uh Jacob Murphy is doubtful. Uh Lascelles mm-hmm. is already done for the for the season. We I think we might have mentioned that before. Um Matt Ritchie, I didn't know this. He's also done for the year. Uh Ryan Fraser of course is not uh he's he's not um they can't recall him from the kids. Yeah, I don't think they can. Uh, the, I, I like how uh, Fat Mob says it. They say uh, Ryan Fraser is is on the injured list due to lack of fitness. That's a good one. Sean Longstaff mm-hmm. doubt that he's going to be available uh, for this one, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, he's not going to be available. And then Joe Ellington. Oh, sorry, not Joe Ellington. Uh, Joe Willick, of course, uh, just got injured. So going to be an odd one. Not going to lie. Going to be an odd one. A lot of injuries for Newcastle on the Leicester side. There's Sion Chu, uh, Danny Ward, Justin Zinder, James Justin, uh, Yannick Vestergaard, who I honestly forgot Yannick Vestergaard was on that team. So kind of sucks for him. Uh, Aya Nachos out, Drewsbury Hall, and then Ryan Bertrand is also out. So they're missing quite a few players as well um yeah so oh and yes i i wanted to double check this because uh eddie howe mentioned this joelinton is also a doubt for the leicester match on monday so in a perfect world newcastle uh <laughs> uh don't have to worry about things because it, it's very thin in the midfield uh for monday's match so sure uh mm. gosh any, any yeah well, yeah I've got I've got some few I mean you, you gave a good lay of the land and I just wanted to kind of reiterate some of that stuff that I wrote down here uh, Manchester City is at the top on 85 points we all know that their max points that they could score are 94 points but here's Arsenal Arsenal haven't lost the league yet it's not they're not mathematically out it's just oh, no, highly yeah. unlikely it's highly yeah. unlikely that city will drop all three matches they have left and that arsenal will win out but it's still possible um what's impossible is newcastle getting any higher than where they're at right now they've got 69 points 
they can max out at 75 points with with uh, home versus Leicester on Monday, as we mentioned, and then away to Chelsea on Sunday, the 28th. So Leicester seems like, you know, like less of a challenge due to injuries and, you know, and just sort of a higher level of quality and confidence going into the match. Yeah, we're just, you know, we're we're on a positive 35 goal difference. Bear that in mind. So Manchester United are in 66 points, right? They've they could they've got nine points to play for. They've got Bournemouth uh, this weekend. They've got Chelsea and Fulham, um, plus their cup final to worry about. And they've got a positive 10 goal difference. So there's a little bit of ground they can make up. They can max out on 75 points, and we can max out on 75 points. So unless they score 25 additional goals on top of what we already have, then I think that we could finish above Manchester United, but we have to win out much like what we said about the women. Our destiny is in our own hands. Like, yeah. you know, win out, win out, win and you're in. Um, Liverpool are in 65 points. They can max out at 71 points. They play Villa on the weekend. Then they finish with Southampton. Southampton are already done and dusted. And I just kind of feel like that's a walk, but I don't count out Aston Villa. And just because Liverpool has been very good for the last eight matches doesn't mean Villa can't come in and beat them. Also, I think Villa that Villa could. Good. And Villa are also Villa are, pushing for the European Oh, spot. yeah. So I think, I think, I, that's if probably I were a betting man and I'm not, yeah. yeah, it is. I think, I think Liverpool Villa is the match to watch. Um, but after that loss uh, today, the best Brighton can do is to catch Liverpool um, as far as points go. So, um, yeah, let's see. And then oh, and, uh, worth noting on that Liverpool Villa match, this is also why um, yeah. I think people are feeling good about Liverpool potentially losing this is Jurgen Klopp was assessed a two-match ban from the touchline um, for some post-game comments he made. So that's something worth noting. What a doof. I don't like that guy at all. I, I know um, you don't, but it's also just like, again, it's really hard to uh, re- it's really hard to adjust things tactically uh, when, as a manager when you're not allowed to be there on the touchline. And uh, Klopp is a I, you know we don't we don't love him on this podcast, but he is a good manager still. So uh, having your oh, yeah. good manager and Unai Emery in, uh, in the dugout and available to speak to players and all that kind of stuff does give you that tactical advantage, even if the talent maybe not is maybe not as good. Which yeah. is no slight on Villa; they're a good team. It's just like Liverpool. Are, Liverpool are a very good team that underachieved this year and still somehow are in what fifth. So <laughs> yeah. Um, and coincidentally, Liverpool played Leicester uh, most recently, and they pretty much eviscerated them. Um, Curtis Jones had just played out of his mind. So, um, yeah, Liverpool look good. They have good players, but you're right. If they're missing their, their loud and motivating coach, I don't know if it's sort of uh, all bark, no bite. I don't know. Um, with Leicester, they've only won once since February. And uh, they have us, West Ham, and that's it to save their season. So they're going to be desperate, but I just, they might, I, I think they might already be counting themselves out. Right. I think already in yeah. their heads, they might've already lost this. And, yeah. um, and, and I think that they, we play on Monday. So a lot's going to depend on what happens on the weekend. Now, Everton play at Wolves on Saturday. So should Wolves beat Everton? Okay. Then Leeds play West Ham on Sunday. So should, West Ham beat Leeds. Yeah, which would and secure then f- safety for West Ham at that point. I mean, they're already yeah. Pretty, I think they're almost mathematically safe already, but 
That would, I mean, that's the magic number of 40 if they win this weekend. It, 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 I just wonder how much this influences Leicester's uh, uh, mentality because then Arsenal play Forest and should Arsenal beat Forest? So, like, should their main rivals around them all lose on the weekend? And then they have West Ham, who has already secured safety by having that win. Maybe they'll play a little bit harder on Monday. So it sort of remains to be seen what kind of motivation we're facing on Monday. Yeah, big also weekend. Worth There's noting, a big weekend. Yeah, also worth noting motivation-wise, I, I do know, like, you know, I don't know. I'm there as much as we love to say players fight to the end. We've been on the other end of that as Newcastle fans, and we've seen. Uh, that you know when Rafa took over that it's possible that there are some players who know that there is a market out for them uh, if the team goes down and they maybe are not taking I'm not gonna I'm not gonna accuse anyone of not you know trying but when there's two matches left and like the odds are not in your favor you know it 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 feels a little bit more difficult to to really get mm-hmm. up for it after you're down 1-0 you know at, at away from home in the second to last match of the season against a team in third so there i mean and again there's some really good players on that on that Leicester team that are going to be playing elsewhere next season Tielemans, Madison uh Ndidi, maybe uh Bubakar Samare I don't think Jamie Vardy but Dennis Pryat maybe you know <sighs> Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, uh, for sure. Uh, you want a little history? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Old time Newcastle versus Leicester: fifty-seven wins, twenty-seven draws, 40, oh, 49 losses. Um, and the match I picked out, and now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, I might have picked this one the last time we played them, but it was Newcastle seven, Leicester City one. Um, Andy Cole with the treble, Rob Lee got a goal, David Kelly got a, tre- a treble as well. Um, uh, Pavel Cernisek was in between the pipes, Mark Robinson, Kevin Scott, Barry Venison were the defenders, Steve Howey, John Beresford were sort of the um defenders slash fullbacks. Uh, Lee Clark, Rob Lee, Scott Sellers in midfield, and uh, Andy Cole and David Kelly up top. Um, Gavin Peacock came on for John Beresford and Brian Kilkline came on for Steve Howie. Um, a lot of, so when I first started following this team, um, I was like truly paying attention was a couple years after this. I was a senior in high school in 1995 and a lot of these players were still spoken about or had moved on to other teams or had moved into coaching right around that time frame. So a lot of these players have some emotional meaning to me. So it's interesting for me to see players like Pavel, who had passed away, um, mm-hmm. always a Jordy, uh, you know, Andy Cole and, and Lee Clark and Rob Lee. Um, very interesting, Nate, Gavin Peacock. These are mm-hmm. these were really good players in, in their time and. Um, I hope some of you, if you are not familiar with uh, Newcastle in, in, in 92, 93, 94 time frame, go, go look it up on, on YouTube because uh, they played some glorious football. Yeah, love it. Love it. All right, so uh, what are we watching out for in this one? Um, I mean, the thing about Leicester that interests me is how poor they've been this year, mm-hmm. but what good players they have. Isn't that fascinating that 
for all of their their you know their woe that you still have names on there like Vardy and um you know you still have Tillemans and Barnes and Madison and um who else well yeah and th- those are sort of the 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 main the main names I, I guess as well and yeah yeah um he's a quite quite a tidy player as they say yeah, I'm I'm interested to see you know do they sit Madison? Not, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Okay, but like hmm, we don't want to injure this guy before we sell. We don't want to injure this um, guy. We get a big I'll big big payday. You, you look at the last the, the bottom let's let's just take the bottom four four teams. Your bottom four teams uh in the prem. And and again, it it it's so obvious when we talk about, you know, their attack is so good. Like, like these players, they have such good players. You look at the bottom four teams, and you see just great attackers. Like if we go to to and, and great midfielders and stuff. You go to Southampton. Obviously, they have uh like they've got Stuart Armstrong, James Ward Prowse, uh, Diallo. They got Theo Walcott. They have Adam Armstrong, Shea Adams, Adozi, like Sam Adozi. Like they have really good players. But then you look at the defense, and you see exactly why. Um, you see, you see exactly why they finished last in the league. Like their defense is terrible, and it's the same with Leeds. Leeds, Leeds, Leeds can't defend. They couldn't defend a toddler uh, from from getting to <laughs> to, like, to the teething ring. I don't know. Like they they have, they have solid players in the midfield. And Leeds maybe like they they might have oversold themselves on certain midfielders, but. And they've had some injury woes, but for the most part, like their back line is just awful. And it's the same thing here with Leicester. Is their their back line does not inspire any sort of confidence, no, even when I, healthy. I, like like their best defender is Sionchu, who's suspect at best. Vestergaard is 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 sus. He's always and he's you know pretty injured. He's always old. He's pretty slow, in my opinion. Um, and then you know what Vout phase, he's awful. Again, I, I'm 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 trying to be nice, but like Valfaze is, I, I I watched him last week, and I was like, I don't know how this guy is 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 in the prem. Ricardo Pereira, like again, solid but a little bit older. Castagne, disappointing. Like it, their their back line is really what's held him down. Johnny Evans might be the only bright spot, and he's he's not even that good. He's just been there for a while, and he's 35 years old, and yeah, you know, every single time he's coming in and had to play. He's been okay, but for the most part, that's not who they're relying on, and all the players that they are relying on have all stunk. Like the the drop off for Soyuncu was is is insane to me. He went from being like a, a really solid player to I think he's played seven times this year and has been injured the whole time. So yeah. the back line is is why, and that's I think that's that is my what to watch for for this game because I know what James Madison is. I know Yuri Tielemans. I know those players. And in the past, those have been those those my what to watch for. But this year, it's it's just it's the back line. The back line's I love bad. It. And so if I hadn't even thought about it that score way. early, I like I said earlier, if they can score early, like there's going to be that dejection. And I don't know if you even need to worry about those attacking players if they're if they're down three 0 in the first half. Like they're no, checked out. Multiples they're too. I, they need to be up by multiples. Like, don't like in the last two matches, we've given these teams a chance to make it feel scary or come back from it, and and don't let Leicester get in front at all. Just get on top of them, 
get up to nil early and you'll see those, those midfielders are going to come back, you know, and try to help defend. And then at that point it's over. That's, that's it. You're right. You're right. I hadn't even thought about it in those terms. I mean, I knew that's what we need to do is we, need, we just needed to beat them in the first, the first half hour and then, and then ride it out for 60 minutes. Yeah. It, it's just, yeah. So it, it it's, it's unfortunate because I actually I, I liked some of the players on paper Lester brought in. Like I thought Val Faze was going to be much better than he was. I liked Victor Christensen. I thought Tete was a good uh, signing from Shakhtar Donetsk, um, and it just hasn't really worked out. I it, it, I don't know. It's just it's very odd how bad their backline has become. And despite being so bad, Sionchu is going to be playing at Atletico Madrid next season. So, I, I like, I don't understand this team. It, and it seems like they've completely given up uh, everything. Did you even know this? Iose Perez is on loan to Real Batiste. Real Batiste. Did you know that? I had no idea. No, I didn't. They're like, no, we don't even want him anymore, huh? Yeah. I'll say the one bright spot for Leicester is they did sign Syracuse University's very own Nathan Apoku. So, that's pretty cool. Um, he's hmm. on somewhere else, but yeah, shout out to Syracuse. It was one of those where he was by and large, one of the best players in men's collegiate soccer this past season. And he wasn't listed as like a, a generation Adidas, a, a draft pick. No, I think he played year. in the USL league two final last year. Didn't he yeah, play at, um, for the long Island, uh, rough riders, man, this guy, Josh legend. Uh, I think yeah, he played for but, the rough riders. Yeah. And yeah. I was very much like, what the hell's going on? And I'm hitting up my my sources in Syracuse, and I'm not I'm not going to be that guy to text like the coaches, like, hey, what the hell's going on? But I was texting my sources at Cuse, like my uh, like journalist friends, and they're like, yeah, we don't know what's going on, blah blah blah. And then like two days later, after the draft, it's like Nathan Apoku signs with Leicester, and I was like, oh, I see why he did not enter the draft. That makes sense. So good for him. Anyway, yeah. uh, predictions. Oh man. I, I was did so poorly at this last time, but I really think that we're going to, it's, it's despite being possibly down a couple of players, I think we have to beat them by multiples of goals. And I think maybe three nil, I think three nil is it's, it's almost a requirement. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable uh, saying Newcastle are going to have a clean sheet. So I'll say three, one. Okay. Maybe four. I think, I think it could it could get ugly pretty quickly. So maybe four or five one. To be honest, I think it, they're going to beat them by three. I think they'll beat them by three goals. But oh. I don't. Yeah, I I can't say you're as you as you say. Maybe I can't account for the clean sheet. I just did want to back up for a second. He, uh, Nathan Opoku did not play for the Long Island Rough Riders. He played for the Ventura County Fusion, who played against the Long Island Rough Riders in the 2022 USL League Two final, played in San Diego. Dang. No. Played in uh, played at Championship Field in uh, in in California. Championship Field. Yep. So uh, down there in down there in the L.A. area. So yep, I, I remember that name. He he was uh, he was effective. Uh, played for Venture County Fusion, and they won the championship. Yeah. So he's a he's, he's a, a absolute beast. He's like just like he's young too. I think he's. I don't know. I mean. I'm not going to go down the. We're already like at an hour and twenty, so I'm, I'm sure. not going down the. We'll have a we'll have a Nathan Opoku uh, special. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so that that's pretty much it for this episode of CHN Radio. I did want to point out one very small last thing. Um, the fan that we were talking about earlier, um, Bruno did confirm on Instagram that um, this for this fan Arthur who is has a terminal in, uh, illness. 
he's uh he's really young um so you know you're hoping that things get better for him and that he starts to get better um worth noting that jamie rubin uh sent his like hey we love you arthur um tweet as well and then murdad goducey who we all know and love uh he he formally invited uh arthur to the director's box and he said obviously with your parents which is funny because it's like this kid's like like very young like clearly three or four uh so like how else would he how else would he, yeah. he be invited to the director's box just um, the child just yeah. only send the child yeah like he's gonna walk <laughs> walk to the, the the arena by himself just or just parents drop him off like it's pre-k um but yeah cool well that's that's everything um i'm elijah that's been josh uh this has been another episode of teaching radio like sitting inside a fridge But I wish I was on the case side Looking at the old time bridge I'm coming home, Newcastle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park If the Gallagher tends in the rain I'm coming home To be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're bawdy and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self pity and we're not so very tough. Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had a tough as rough. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wing. I'll walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the river time. I'm coming home. I wish I'd never been a weird I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound And me mother saying, hey, how weird I'm coming home And I miss the old blind busker Who stands at Fenwick's door He plays a mean accordion You've all seen him there before the Jody heroes, there's so many famous names like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gates at Games. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park if the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home. Newcastle, you can keep your London wine. I walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the River Tyne. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been away. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound. And me mother saying, Hey, how weird. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown ale. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dog. It's in James's pocket, the Gallagher's end in the rear. I'm going-